Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hi, I'm Kim Salmon. I'd like to have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe... The number is 94198377. You've been listening to the sand. You could never understand. Feel the fortune flowing. You know it isn't stuck. Such historians as record the tides of social manners and morals have neglected the bicycle. Yet it would be difficult to deny that the bicycle has been responsible for more movement in manners and morals than anything since Charles II. Under its influence, wholly or in part, have wilted chaperones, long and narrow skirts, tight corsets, hair that would come down, black stockings, thick ankles, large hats, prudity and fear of the dark. Under its influence, wholly or in part, have bloomed weekends, strong nerves, strong legs, strong language, knickers, knowledge of make and shape, knowledge of woods and pastures, equality of sex, good digestion and professional occupation. Gone those blues. Jump on a bike. You're listening to the Arabug radio show here at 3CR. 855 on the AM dial on your tranny in the kitchen. Podcasting or streaming or out of the ether, I think sometimes. We've got a bit of a show coming up to you this morning here on this lovely Easter Monday morning in Melbourne. A little bit of news and events, happenings in the bike world. And because cyclists are mainly proactive in city planning issues and the environments we ride through, I would like to talk to a planning issue in my local park, Burnley Park. I think it's got a couple of lessons to do for everybody in this. How do we, how do we change? How do we keep? How do we conserve? How do we protect our local environment? And so joining me from my local park this morning... On the back or the front of the tandem, I'm going to put you on the front of the tandem this morning, Don. Is Don Ash from my local area, and we're going to try and bite through a few things about this one planning issue, but use it as a template for a few other things. Good morning. Good morning, Val. 
and a lovely day it is too. Absolutely. Now, I've explained to Don that the only thing important that he has to bring along to the show is a bike moment. So I reckon I'll let you kick off. <laughs> Thanks, Val. Good morning, listeners. I, uh, I get to travel a lot around the world for my work, and uh, some years ago I was doing a big project in Laos and worked out very quickly that in Savannakit province, outside of work hours, if I wanted to get around, a bicycle would be the best way to go. So I arrived for my second of several trips uh, having arranged for the client to get a bicycle for me. And uh, I arrived armed with my helmet. And I noticed very, very quickly that I became a source of some bamusement to the local children, and indeed most of the locals, wherever I cycled, people would stop and stare, and the children would giggle. And uh, I took this to be um, as a consequence of wearing a helmet, because sadly, in Laos, um, wearing a helmet is not uh, exactly cultural, on sharing with uh, my host and, and very dear Lao friend that uh, the locals found my wearing a helmet a source of great amusement, uh, he quickly put me in my place and said, Don, it's not so much uh, the helmet as seeing a Falang actually riding a bicycle. Um, that's why they're stopping and staring and laughing. But it was a, it was a great joy, Val, at the end of that project to um, donate the bike to a gentleman who uh, worked in the hotel that I used to be resident at. And, you know, just bringing home that a bicycle in a developing country is, is so much more than what we take it to be here in Melbourne, where we have a very spoilt and privileged lifestyle. You know, for this gentleman, me giving him a, an $80 bicycle was, was a substantive improvement in his day-to-day -day life, a means of transportation, greater status in the community, and, and that was the real joy. But certainly it wasn't my helmet. It was the fact that, you know, this Westerner is actually going everywhere on a bike and seems not to be able to afford a car that had people stopping, staring and laughing. You could have always said it shielded you from this. <laughs> I'm sorry, the radiation, but no, I'll leave off that. <laughs> Talking about bicycles changing thing, that quote came from John Goldsworthy. I do apologise. I think I used it a while ago, a couple of years ago, but it's always so good. Written in 1930, of course. Mm -hmm. And touching on the emancipation of women and all the other things that came with cycling, especially in the, uh, it was called the United Kingdom. And then uh, the reference to Charles II does date it a fraction. <laughs> uh, my, I had two bike moments, one lovely and one relevatory, I'd say. I have to turn right off Bridge Road into Burnley Street. And in the turn, there's a arrow there for... Uh, time turn rights and unfortunately it um the tram line runs straight through it of course so you've always got to be watch yourself when you get to the front of that right turn on the red light you're going to put enough pressure on the road with the bicycle to yep. trignal the arrow and then hope hope the tram doesn't come right up behind you anyway lovely on um sunday morning i knew the tram was there and he digged me when he was about 20 meters away pulled up alongside me opened the door and said, listen, why don't you jump to the other side of me? And then when the green arrow comes on, you can scoot straight across. <laughs> I said, God, that's the first time anybody's ever done that. Usually you sit there, I daren't, I would not ride in front of a tram, even with the green arrow, yep, because yep. some of them just keep driving through. So that was a lovely occurrence. Excellent. Now, the shocking occurrence was two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, Saturday afternoon, that afternoon of pouring rain. I finished work at about four o'clock. must have been about half past four. I'm halfway home, I'm not halfway home, I have the flat tyre. Mm -hmm. So in all my years of teaching people how to flat tyres, how to fix flat tyres, relax, take a breath, 
take your time, do it properly. No, not me. I rushed through it. I'd had to find somewhere to get out of the rain. I can't believe I put the patches on and didn't do it properly. And, of course, five minutes later, I had another flat and had to repeat the whole process again. (laughs) And I must admit, it wasn't until a couple of days later that I sat down and went through it again and just all the mistakes that I'd made were the mistakes that I say to people, these are the ones you've got to watch out for. Ah, It's a very humbling experience. Now, with a little bit of news in the bike world, we're having a bit of a bad run with cyclists, not with cyclists, but deaths in cyclists. On Good Friday, Sergeant uh, Ken Rich, who worked at the uh, the eastern side of Melbourne, who'd been a 37-year veteran of uh, the Victorian police, father of five, getting ready for uh, retirement. He and his daughter were out riding on Good Friday morning when he was hit by a car and died at the side of the road. And we dips our lids. Um, on happier news, I was great, uh, it was a great read I read somewhere the other day about a French amateur cyclist, uh, Robert Marchand, who is 105 years old, <laughs> holds a lot of the records in uh, the over-100 cycling campaign at the World right. Championships. <laughs> which they had to introduce so they could accept him. Anyway, a wonderful story. The most interesting thing about it was that at about 102, he started training and actually some a couple of uh, exercise phys- physiologists had got hold of him. I hate to think what was yep, going to happen yep. next. But the interesting thing was that after devising a training program which was 80% sort of lightish work and 20% total a little bit hardish work. And a cyclist, as a cyclist, they put it down, it's like spinning at 60 revs per minute, Mm. then going at 80 or 90 for 20% of your time. We all of us have what's called a VO2 max. There's a max, it's a measure of how much oxygen we're pulling into the system and changing in the red blood cells. So people seem to have a, limit or a number that is particularly there and over the years very little you can do a little things to train the vo2 max but not you can't change it all that much the most startling thing about this was over a year and a half he got something like a 35 percent increase in his vo2 max this is a bike who's 103 now, nobody's saying that if you start now, you'll live to 103 <laughs> and keep improving your VO max. Obviously, he's a bit of a genetic yep. wonder man that's got through a lot of life, a whole working life in France. And as he said, a quite sedentary life. That's why he took up cycling. Wow. But actually, for the that to change your whole system is a bit of a, it's a lovely it's thing phenomenal. to look forward to. Yep. We can all get there. It's like you and I, Don, we've, and... Um, like Lance Armstrong, we've all got something in common. We'll never win the Tour de France. <laughs> Talking of racing, the Paris-Roubaix was on um, last week and um, got more crashes than, than mm, you've ever yeah. seen. This is a race from Paris up to Roubaix across the cobblestones of the north. So they changed bicycles a lot. They've had a, they had a few more accidents on this one. A couple of forks broke, apparently. Mm. So it's become a bit of a... Uh, it's a bit of a rough house. It's not rough house. Everybody goes hard. It's not on a perfect tarmac. Things happen. Anyway, winner Greg Van Aldemar of the BMC Racing and won in the sprint to the end, so which was good. The other thing I want to briefly touch on before 
we get to Burnley Park is uh, Port Phillip Bay. Are you doing their usual thing or the same thing's happening again? There's now seems to be a little bit of backpedalling or obfuscation as far as the St Kilda Road Bicycle Plan. Mm-hmm. Local councils. Who'd have them done? Yeah, well. <laughs> we'll be councils, back uh, after this mm. quick message. Uh, For progressive people around the world, it's been a hard start to the year. Trump is rolling out his racist agenda, inspiring increased racial, religious and gender-based hatred across the globe. It really is time to rally together to fight for a better world. There is power in numbers and there is power in independent, community-run media. Join the swelling number of people fighting back by becoming a member of your radical activist radio station. Show us your love and subscribe to 3CR. Call us on 9419 8377 or pay online 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Magpie. Mudlark, Willy Wagtail, Grey Butcherbird, Bell Miner, Noisy Miner, Indian Miner, Grass Parrots, Eastern Rosella, Crimson Rosella, King Parrot, Kookaburra, Sacred Kingfisher, Raven, Tawny Frogmouth, Powerful Owl, Galah, Corella, Grey Currawong, Pied Currawong, Sulphur Crested Cockatoo, Gangang Cockatoo, Crested Pigeon, Peaceful Dove, Bronzewing, Brown Duck, Wood Duck, Silver Eye, Rainbow Lorikeet, Red Wattle Bird, Glossy Back Black Cockatoo, Welcome Swallow, Major Michel's Cockatoo, and the Yellow Tailed Black Cockatoo. From 2003 to 2007, they're the birds I've seen in my local park. It is a wonderful little nature sanctuary. But of those birds that I've just read out, the willy wagtails, I haven't seen one for five or six years. The powerful owl has now gone from the park. You don't see the headless, eviscerated bodies mm-hmm. of possums lying around everywhere. And some of the others are very rare visitors, but they're there. It is a little oasis. Absolutely. Absolutely. The I place- had- I had the joy of watching a uh, tawny frogmouth raise a chick in the elm trees directly across our second floor balcony, east facing. And um, you know, I'm, well, I'm a new kid on the block. Six years ago, six years ago last week, I moved into the immediate neighbourhood around Burnley Park, and um, it's it's an absolutely joyous park. And uh, not least of all because of the you know the wildlife that we still have in that particular neck of the woods and uh, watching the tawny frogmouth raise its chick and every morning going and photographing it and uh, you know what a joy no. to be living in Richmond and to be, have such you know close access to nature and it's it's come to our doorstep although we've helped it mm-hmm. inside burnley park we've got to start on this inside burnley park is an old caretaker's cottage yeah. one part which is listed as heritage it's been used infrequently over the years. My recommend my re- remembrances when there were a couple of uh, uh, buildings still in the park originally, two thousand and three, including a council depot and 
there's been intermittent use of the area. In about 2005, 2007, Yarra Council came up with what they called the Master Plan or the Grand Plan for Burnley Park, which included a new sports ground, the new ovals, a redoing of the path. There were no paths around Burnley Park at that stage. So that started the, a lovely rebirth of that mm, park. Mm. And, of course, commensurate with that, while they were doing that, the population around the park swelled as well. But the two seemed to go hand in glove, and it remained mm. a lovely little sanctuary. Including in the park was, at one stage, a parking ground for about 12 or 15 cars. Yep. Yep. You'd probably get more in them. And 2000, and, oh, I can't remember exactly the date, the council to their wonder, in their great wisdom, decided to campaign to get rid of the car park. And after a lot of community consultation, I mean, it was a lot of community consultation, they actually got rid of the car park, stopped people driving into the park, and made the park even more precious. Yeah, and, you know, that was absolutely fantastic, seeing that bit of grey go and, and green um, come in. And, you know, credit where it's due, uh, council has driven grey to green and the park has become a very, very, a very, very peaceful place where all manner of people coexist quite peacefully, cyclists, families. Slack, slack rope walkers. Yeah, to the slack rope walkers, I think they call jugglers. Yeah, yeah. Were out yesterday, people um, doing all manner of activity, uh, martial arts and uh, off-leash areas uh, for dogs, which is, you know, fantastic. It it. It is a, a park-free, shall we say, Val, from commercial enterprise, other than occasionally uh, some young, very young ladies have a uh, fundraising for leukaemia and the paving is chalked with delightful signs oh, like eat like an elephant. Yes. No no cakes over $5 and everything's delicious. But, but other than that, it's a commercial-free, family-friendly, off-leash delight, um, Burnley Park. So the council has this building sitting there. Mm. Obviously some smart, I mean, I wouldn't say that, some bright spark in the planning department decided that we could, there could be some commercial use of this area. Now, I'm just going to jump forward to the timeline to where we are now. Yes. There's been an application to put in a restaurant in the park. This yes. seats 108 people with a staff of, I think, about 12 or 14. So it has reached the stage where it has been advertised as this is the plan, and it was open to objections. Yep. And, uh, look, I mean, there had been a call for expressions of interest for the use of the, the cottage, the caretaker's cottage. Um, nothing seemed to come of it. Certainly there was no mm-hmm. notification that we received as immediate locals until this year when we got a letter in the mail saying, would you have an objection to a restaurant being established in the park? And you can go online and have a look at what's being proposed and – Lo and behold, a 108-seat restaurant is being proposed, and um, that raises all sorts of concerns, um, congestion, parking, noise. Uh, but more for me than anything else, just the ambient of the park will be forever changed by having a, a restaurant and potentially, who knows, function centre yeah. operating in the, in the very central heart of uh, what has been a, a, a very peaceful park yeah. until now. We should uh, we should make there's a clear def- difference between two aspects of this. Yep. One is when actually they put out the expressions of interest. Yep. So at some stage, at some level in the council, somebody decided that it would be all right to have a commercial operation in the park, yep. and you call for the expression. Where we are now is we have got 
the expression of interest on the table. Can does anybody have? Oh, I'm sorry, I don't know how to put this. How do we separate the two of them? How do you fight one? You've got to fight them both differently, don't you? I, look, I, I think so. Um, the reality values with you know, rates being capped, the councils are, are looking, let's be, be frank, yeah, the yeah, councils yeah, yeah. are looking to make a buck. But this sets, in my view, a, an unhealthy precedent wow. where if the proposed restaurant goes ahead, it won't simply be operating out of an existing premises. It will That premises will have an expansion deck put on it, which will erode current green space parkland. Areas will be paved over to create an access path for the removal of refuse. Um, congestion in and around the streets that lead into the park, as well as, uh, of course, Yarra Boulevard, which is you know well used by cyclists, is going to increase. And... It, it just sets a precedent for me that should be it, – it's, it's something worth fighting against, um, it, and it's not being anti-progress. Um, you know, quite frankly, Richmond has an abundance of great restaurants on Bridge and Swan and an equal abundance of premises to let. So why specifically uh, use a heritage cottage inside the park uh, for this restaurant is, is absolutely beyond me. I, I, you know, I understand it from the council cynically wanting to make a buck and who could blame the restaurateurs or the proposed mm. restaurateurs for getting a prime location. Um, but I think it's something worth, you know, the community standing up and speaking out against. Yeah. The thing that really strikes me is that, and why I sort of go back through that timeline of the amount of time and money that council has spent on actually yes. surveying the park, coming up with the grand plan. We have a wonderful sports building there. I mean, yes. Burnley yes. Park is punching above its weight in the elimination of childhood obesity. I'm yes. telling you, every yep. Tuesday, Thursday, and Wednesday, there are kids out there. Fabulous, yeah, but it was, absolutely. But it was a great long-term plan, which even required the removal of old elm trees and replanting. Yes. And from the very get-go, the plan started and they did it bit by bit. I was under the assumption I would think anybody would assume that you were doing that to make the park a better place. Yes. Not as a backdrop for a commercial operation. Correct. Correct. How did we get to this spot? I so just, we, I we're don't going around in circles. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, but it's a really weird, isn't it? it? Very, very strange. And But fortunately, you know, Val, the good news is uh, there's a, a growing number of local residents yep. um, who are banding together and... Um, we have an online petition. We have a hashtag Save Burnley Park. And uh, we we lending voice to preserving the park as is uh, a commercial-free open space and, yep. and fighting for you know, our right for councils not to uh, take public land away from uh, rate-paying uh, residents, which uh, hopefully we'll succeed in. Now I'm going to touch on a couple of touchy subjects. Right. It has, there's already been one, what does the council call this meeting? A conciliatory meeting or consultation? A consultation meeting, consultation. which uh, was, well, yes. Val, you and I were both there and it was a fairly lively event. It was very consultative. Mm. Mm. I went, I've lost it now. One of the work um, place judges here in Melbourne had a beautiful definition of consultation, but we'll, we'll move on. Right. right. So there is a timeline and a, and a narrative to this whole thing. They put up the plan. They yes. get swamped by objections. Yes. They have a 
consultation meeting where there's meant to be a bit of to or fro right. between the applicants and the people who are objecting. Correct. And it's a bit of a fluff piece, really. Yeah, look, nothing, no decisions are made. No. Um, it's really an opportunity for people to air concerns and for the applicants to, to attempt to address those concerns. Uh, I didn't feel that that meeting went in any particular direction, but the next piece in the timeline, of course, will be what I think Council call an IDAC meeting. Yep, which will be towards the end of May, I would say, or mid-May. Mid, mid to late May, and um, three of the councillors will be present. Um, they'll hear submissions and a decision will be made yeah. as to whether permitting will be granted. So this is the first decision the council makes, and Correct. we should just go back. There are three councillors on this meeting. Correct. One from the ward. Yes. And one that are not so much chatters at random, but are from a, um, a, a two other councillors from different wards yes. inside Yarra, which yes. are, are on a roster. So yep. I don't think they know the roster or be three or four days beforehand. Correct. So you get one council, local council member and two other councillors from yep. outside our ward who then decide on that. Yes. That is not binding, is it? Well, as look, far as either party after that yeah. could appeal to VCAT and then it becomes a legal stoush. Yep. And, uh, you know, one hopes that it doesn't get to that. No. Um, certainly... Uh, you know, I wouldn't like to see it get to that, but we uh, we have every hope that uh, the council will see reason and um, reject the application for permit. Um, I've, you know, I can't put it yeah, in any yeah, other no, terms. No, no, yeah. I, I know um, Val, there's the, you know, there's sort of a view of a school of thought that says, you know, well, perhaps if it's a small cafe, it should go ahead. And, uh, I'm just worried about the thin end of a very long wedge. Yeah. And, you know, once once a commercial enterprise is established, who knows, we might see parking reintroduced. You know, for me, it's a catch-22. Yeah. If it were established and went well, there might be an argument that now that it's going so well, we need parking in the park. If it doesn't go well, an argument might be it's not going well because we don't have parking in the park. And, you know, who knows what happens next. The other thing I'm concerned about are restrictions on or existing conditions changing. We've already had off-leash areas for dogs reduced, and I cannot see football, cricket, and off-leash dogs coexisting easily and peacefully around an, a restaurant business in the park. So, as residents, I'm really, I'm anxious that further restrictions will be imposed on us. Uh, and the classic example of it, of that is. They're not really comparable, but if people will remember the old video rental place on the corner of Park Street and Nicholson Street in North Fitzroy. It was originally a shell of a building. Council put an expression of interest. It is in a highly commercial area. Right. In a Next to a tram stop, a major bicycle lane and two roads going across either to Carlton and North Fitzroy. But part of that expression of interest or submission was Bike Shop Cafe and the cafe was never going to get a liquor licence. Three right. years down the track, though, apply for the liquor licence, get granted the liquor licence. Right, right. So things do change yes, in the fullness absolutely. of time. Yeah. It doesn't compare to our local park because it sits out there. Yeah. It's, it's not in any way a commercial area. There's nothing else around it except parkland. 
yeah, for residents in the community to use. There, there's no access to it. Um, yeah, this is a substantive change to the ambient of the park. Yep. Now we're going. I'm going to put up. Uh, we're going to put up some links. Um, yes. About this, there's uh, one of the other lessons. So this has been um, the squeaky wheel or the emails that keep dropping in your local councillor's inbox, or your state representative's inbox, or your federal electorate, your federal electorate's inbox. They are all people that it should be at least concerned or aware of what happens in look, local look, parklands. Abs- absolutely. I've, I've raised my concerns with a member, federal member Bant and um, state member Wynne, who is, after all, planning minister. So uh, fingers, fingers crossed, uh, Val. Can I say one other thing? Maybe. What's been just so delightful about, uh, so, so delightful about this is, uh, much to my shame, and I guess uh, other people are in the same boat, we know each other in the park, many of us, by our dog's names. And, you know, there's there's Buffy's owner, but, gosh, I don't know who she is by name. And, you know, there's Jock's owner, and I don't know who that is by name. And, you know, through coming together to resist the commercialization of our park, we're actually getting to know one another. So, you know, if that's not great for the community, then I don't know what is. And the other thing I might comment on is that it's lovely to see people forming groups. Yes. Assigning roles. Absolutely. It's uh, good. Grassroots activity always works. Well, it takes me back to my student days in, in South Africa. Oh, there we go. That's <laughs> another topic we'll save to next week. Absolutely, Val. <laughs> Thank you very much, Don, for a coming pleasure. in. It's been a wonderful have you there. Now, um, usually Dirt Radio's up next, um, but I'm not too sure which one is. As long as you know that all the announcers here at uh, 3CR are volunteers, and this station relies on your emotional and financial support to keep going. 3CR has been here for a long time and continues on because of that great volunteer and commitment to it. We'll be back, uh, Chris will be back next week. Um, Otherwise, we'll see you in two weeks' time. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.